It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast with interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe DeArmond. Welcome back to another week of the PowerMizzou.com podcast. Sometimes we don't put any effort into the off-season podcast and we just kind of ramble for 30 minutes, but we actually put a little effort in this week and we get what I believe is the first official interview with Larissa Anderson, Mizzou's new head softball coach from the Women's College World Series down in Oklahoma City. Coach, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. Fantastic. Well, really appreciate you taking some time. I, I know you've been probably a little busy the last few days, so just kind of <laughs> kind of take us through what the last, I, I don't know, week or two has been like for you. Oh, it's been a whirlwind. Uh, so many emotions. I mean, I'm so excited for this opportunity. I can't wait to get started back on campus. Um, you know, I, I flew out from Long Island, headed out to Mizzou, Absolutely fell in love with everything that they have to offer, the campus, the administration, the, the potential. Um, came, made my commitment to Mizzou on Saturday morning and then flew right here to Oklahoma City for the College World Series. So we've been going crazy. And what are you doing? I know you have some, some responsibilities down there. I, I think not just watching as a coach. What are you doing exactly in Oklahoma City? I'm on the NFCA board, the National Fast Pitch Coaches Association, and I'm also on the All-American Committee. And the All-American Committee met, we started Sunday night um, with our first meeting, and then all day Monday we pretty much deliberate, and we're picking the All-American team. Uh, we go through by position. <clears throat> uh, it, we spend about 13 and a half hours from start to finish going through, uh, making sure that we, we get it right and, and selecting the All-Americans. Um, and so we did that Monday and a little bit more Tuesday in, in watching, making sure that the script is, is accurate and we have proper video footage. Um, yesterday was a little bit more downtime with no official responsibilities. And then today I start teaching an NFCC class, which is National Fast Pitch Coaches College. And I'm teaching a class with Carol Bruggerman, and then we're going to have some World Series participant coaches being able to be guest speakers. Um, there's about 35 participants in the class where – during the games today and tomorrow, we evaluate and pretty much teach the coaches how to scout and game day operations and game management and, and just a lot of game, game in-game stuff that we're going to be talking about and working with, and we can do some video footage. And um, it's an unbelievable class where they're going to be able to see the behind-the-scenes with ESPN and, and the World Series. Wow, sounds like a lot, Coach uh, Mitchell Forty here. Uh, <laughs> You know, as you said, you've obviously kind of been all over the place. Uh, do you have an idea yet, you know, when you when you finally get back, get into Columbia, what's kind of uh, the, the the priorities and the steps for you, be it, you know, meeting with the players, recruiting, and uh, kind of all that stuff? Really, what, what I've been doing, you know, since I took the job Saturday morning is trying to get in touch with every player on the current roster and all their incoming recruits. You know, it, talking to them about, everything that they've been through and getting them on the same page, um, introducing myself, talking about philosophies, um, just getting them up to speed and, and getting them to understand what we're going to try to accomplish here at Mizzou. Um, so that's really my priority. Um, while I'm in between phone calls, I'm working on establishing a staff. I am bringing one assistant from Hofstra, Sarah Michalowski, who played for me for four years at Hofstra, was our conference player of the year. Um, coached with me the last two years, and she's going to be a, a bright star in the future of, of college softball. So I'm really excited to bring her on board. And then it's just compiling a list of, of other staff members, another assistant, director of ops, a volunteer coach, and, and our student managers. So just trying to, you know, 
get some quality people in that, that understand what we're capable of doing um, and making sure that we're all on the same page. We're talking to Larissa Anderson, Mizzou's new head softball coach. And, Coach, I wanted to ask you kind of about Jim Sterk's pitch to you for this job. I, I was joking with some people. I said, to me, the pitch is real easy. Look, all you have to do is play the SEC schedule, and you're going to get a chance to play in the NCAA tournament because the last two years every team has been in and coming from a place that, that obviously it's it's a little tougher to qualify for that tournament. Um, and I, I know that you guys did, but um, you know probably tougher in – in your league than it will be in the SEC just from a standpoint of visibility and, and RPI and all that. But what was Jim's pitch to you during this process? It's, you know, and he really doesn't have to pitch Mizzou because it speaks for itself. You, you know the resources that the university has, the emphasis on, on softball. I mean, you have an unbelievable, beautiful stadium. You're in the best conference in the country. So he doesn't really have to sell um, what he needed to educate me on is what their philosophy is and making sure that it matches up because it could be, you know, from, from an outsider's perspective, you could have everything that you'd ever want, but I need to make sure that our philosophies line up. Um, I have, was in such an unbelievable, great position at Hofstra, you know, not looking to leave, um, very competitive, giving everything that I need in order to be competitive in the colonial um, but here's an opportunity to compete in the best conference in the country. So <clears throat> making sure that Jim and I see eye to eye and, and I get the support that we need to, in order to create a culture that's going to sustain for a very long time and making sure that the players are very proud of where they play for, play for um, that they come back for alumni day, that we compete at the highest level we possibly can. And, and it's going to take a little bit um, to get them back on track, even though they did qualify for the NCAA tournament. But that's just a small goal. You know, our goal is to compete and be, you know, start off be the upper half of the SEC and then, you know, contend to win the, the SEC championship. So that's, that's what we're ultimately looking to do. And, you know, once we, once we reach those goals and then make some noise in the NCAA tournament and then get that program back here to the College World Series. So just making sure that, that Jim and I have those conversations on the support and, you know, we might have a couple bumps in the road here as we transition into a new philosophy – um, but making sure that they stand by me and stand by the players and the athletes to give us an opportunity. Coach, you've mentioned a few times kind of philosophy and culture and matching yours up with Missouri's and with the players. What are kind of some of the, the specifics of your philosophy? You know, it, it depends on what we want to talk about. If we want to talk about about team, it's it's family. It's that we're we're all trying to – we're going to set a standard for Mizzou softball – and we're going to make sure that everyone adheres to that standard. And the standard is going to give us an opportunity to be successful. Um, so really that's where it starts and that we're all a family. We're all in this together and we need everyone on board. And the motto might be it's, it's going to be a new era. The program has been successful in the past, but now it's a, it's a new era with a new voice at the front. And we need to make sure that everyone's all in. And that goes from, you know, the, the number one player on the team to maybe the 20th or the 25th to our, our student managers, to our athletic trainers, that we need to get everyone on board um, to carry out this mission. And if we, if we do that, then we're going to have a strong culture. And it's just making sure that we continue to work hard every single day. And every day that they come to the ballpark or go to the weight room or in their, they're in the classroom, they want to become better people and they want to become better players. So it's just staying on top of those types of things and holding them accountable day in and day out so that they don't lose focus in what they're trying to achieve. 
Well, Coach, they taught me a lot of years ago in journalism school. Yeah, you, you ask the easy questions first, and and let <laughs> let the people get comfortable, and then you get to maybe a little bit tougher ones. So, I want to ask you one of the tougher ones, and obviously, there's been a little bit of uh, I guess tumult around this program the last couple years. So I want to know, first of all, how familiar you were with with all that going back a couple years or if it was something that that was a concern or that you brought up with with Jim during the interview process. You know, I'm I'm familiar with it because it was in the media. Um, You know, I I know Coach E. Um, We played against Mizzou when I was at Hofstra. We played against Mizzou in 2013. We came out here for NCAA Regional. Um, so I'm familiar with the program. I've watched them play quite a bit. Um, and I know that there was some terminal turmoil, not only on campus, but within the softball program. Um, but again, it's in the past. So we got to learn from that and, and pick some people's brains on, on why it transpired, um, what we need to learn from it to make sure that doesn't happen again and, and move forward and just get the players to understand that they can trust me and I trust them and I'm going to do what's best for them all the time. Um, so having that conversation with Jim and making sure that we give the players what they need because it's it's emotional and they give everything they possibly can to that program. And when they're hurt, then I have to make sure that they're going to be okay. And maybe we're going to have some, some bumps and bruises and, and a lot of emotions because they've had a lot of turmoil. Um, just making sure that I, I'm taking care of them and I'm giving them everything that they need. But at the same time, let's get back on board and let's start focusing on the future and see the light at the end of the tunnel and stop looking behind us. Coach, uh, you know, obviously one of the, the biggest challenges, I feel like when you take over a new program is is recruiting right away and adapting to recruiting in a new place and pitching a new school. Um, I know obviously, you know, Missouri's uh, kind of recruiting area or footprint is very different from maybe a Hofstra's. What uh, what kind of is, is that adjustment going to be like? Do you have a kind of a, a plan for, for how you're going to attack that? You know, the footprint could be different because I'm recruiting a different geographical area, but the philosophy is not. I want the best kids in the area, if it's Missouri, if it's Illinois, if it's Ohio, if it's Indiana, if it's Iowa, I want the best in the region to want to come play for us. I want them to recruit us. And then if they come and recruit us, and we get the best from the area, they're going to take unbelievable pride in our university and in our program, where I don't want a second- or a third-tier kid from another part of the country settling to come to come to Mizzou because maybe they weren't recruited by a school in their backyard. So I want to be able to recruit the absolute best in our area to create such a proudful <clears throat> fan base, alumni base, parental support, to be able to build that culture and that ownership within the program. So that's the same exact philosophy I had at Hofstra. Keep the best home, and then as you need to expand, because they're not meeting your your athletic needs, then you start to expand your region. Um, But I'm going to go out and I'm going to get the best player I possibly can to be able to build. So that's philosophically. Um, Yes, I'm going to have to have some more contacts with different parts of the country, but it's Mizzou. So people are going to want to come there. I'm not. I'm not selling ice to an Eskimo, sort of say. <laughs> you know, they they want to come there. It's people's dream school. I got to get out and I got to start making face to face contact. I got to start meeting some people. Um, I'm already starting making contacts with a lot of travel ball coaches in the area. But again, it's a place that people want to go. So now I just have to make sure that it's the right person for the right reason um, to bring them into our environment. I think most people listening to this know that, that you've been the head coach at Hofstra for the last four years. They may not all know you were there for 17 seasons. So 
I while on the surface it might be a kind of a no-brainer decision from from outsiders how tough was it to leave a place you've been at 17 years? Oh, it's, it's been so emotional. I mean, I could probably start crying right now on this on this call. <laughs> um, 17 years is a long time. And then even three years before that, my husband was the assistant baseball coach at Hofstra. So that's 20 years I've been involved in this, in this Hofstra family. You know, working alongside the same people, the same administrators have been there. Um, you know, my SWA, who, who has been absolutely fabulous to me. I worked under Hall of Fame coach Bill Edwards. He was there for 25 years. I worked with him for 13. So it's been really tough to, to say goodbye, but I'm getting such unbelievable support because they know the opportunity that this is for me. And, and it's a direct reflection on Hofstra, you know, for, for Mizzou and an SEC school to come after a Hofstra coach and a Colonial Athletic Association coach speaks volumes to, to the level that we're at and to give them the credit that they deserve. Because if it wasn't for the players – on that team and the respect that we've earned across the country, there's no way Jim Sterk's coming after me. So it's not only a, a reward for me, but it's also a reward for the program that, you know, an SEC school did come after a Hofstra coach. And so I'm just so grateful for this opportunity. But at the same time, it's sad to go. It's, it's really sad to leave. And I have great relationships with our players and our alumni. Um, you know, they're, it, it's, it's awesome because, when I made the announcement and I called the players and it was, it was heartbreaking and it was devastating, but the support that I got after all the emotions calmed down where the Hofstra family wants to come out to Mizzou for our alumni day, that's how close of a family that we are because we're going to share in everyone's success. And they feel now that all of a sudden that they're, they're huge Mizzou fans um, because of the relationships that we have. Last thing for you, Coach, you mentioned family a lot, and you mentioned your husband. So he is a manager in the Washington Nationals system. So I'm going to assume you're a fairly large baseball family as well? Yes, we are. Um, born and raised a Met fan. So, okay. I mean, you could, bleep, you could bleep that out a little bit. Yeah, but, um, I mean, there are a lot of Cardinals <laughs> fans in this area. They might I not know. love that. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I have to be. My dad was a Brooklyn Dodgers fan, and you can't be a Yankee fan if you're a Brooklyn Dodgers fan. So right. mm-hmm. that's how we converted over to being a Met fan. But um, my husband, he worked with the Kansas City Royals for eight years as a hitting instructor in their minor league uh, organization. And then now he's been with the Washington Nationals going on five years. He's managing He's in the Sally League and the, and the South Atlantic League with the Hagerstown Suns. Uh, so, yeah, we got a lot of baseball, softball talk going on in the offseason. Yeah, well, I'm a uh, born and bred Kansas City Royals fan, so uh, uh, every Met fan well, I run across, I like to say thank you very much for uh, 2015. <laughs> so. Right, exactly. <laughs> All right, well, Coach, really appreciate you taking some time. I know it's been a busy week, but uh, look forward to uh, meeting you in person and talking down the road. Same here. Thanks, guys. All Thanks. right, have a good one. Larissa Anderson, Mizzou's. Head softball coach, as of last week, um, just kind of quickly wrapping this up. I mean, first of all, thanks to her because she hasn't even been formally introduced yet mm-hmm. uh, for taking some time. But, like, people might see Hofstra. They beat Florida State this year, who is in the Women's College World Series. They took Oregon, the number one overall seed, to extra innings and lost by a run. They had a better RPI than Missouri. Um, and in listening to her, like, look, I think people need to understand this ain't the program it was five years ago. It's going to take a minute. Yeah, yeah, and I think she's, you know, obviously embracing that. But, uh, yeah, there's, you know, very clearly a, a, a bit of a rebuild that needs to be done in terms of kind of buy-in and, and kind of how the, the program is want, is run. Um, and so I think, uh, you know, the fact that 
obviously she's excited about it and has embracing that uh, kind of rebuild probably bodes well. All right, so let's wrap up some other things that have gone on. Uh, hey, Jonte's back. You yep. hear that? Yeah, I heard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Did you see the, you know, obviously the, the cryptic meme uh, couldn't that was fantastic. prolong our agony like, enough. <laughs> I, I, I really, and, and I need to be careful how I say this because I don't want to say I was rooting for him to go pro. But as soon as Mizzou Hoops tweeted that little three-second video of him winking, my first thought was, oh, my God, it's going to be phenomenal if he goes to the draft now. The reaction is going to be amazing. There might have been actual riots. Yeah, I, I mean, there would have been people, as a couple of people on my Twitter feed, somebody might have driven into the arena. Like, <laughs> right. That had been the case. But, um, look, no, no understating how huge this is mm -hmm. for Conzo Martin's team next year. I mean – if Jonte Porter had stayed in the draft, and I want to be clear, guys, three weeks ago, he was gone. Like, it wasn't probably, it wasn't leaning one way or the other. Every single person you talked to, whether it was a Mizzou person or a person that had some ties to the Porter, said, oh, no, forget it. They're mm -hmm. moving on. He's out. Um, and then something changed, and I don't know exactly what changed, but, uh, you know, I, I saw a report that said basically – He'd made the decision before the NBA draft combine that he was coming back. But if he'd stayed, I don't feel like we could have legitimately said, hey, this is a tournament team. I think we can legitimately say that's the goal now. Right, yeah. No, I mean, he, uh, you know, obviously is someone you can kind of run your offense through. And, and you know, obviously there's still going to be some shortages at, at guard. But uh, the, the way he passes, you know, you can throw the ball into him in the high post and, and he can, you know, kick it out to a shooter. He can shoot from there or he can throw it down to the low post. And obviously, uh, you know, you expect him and Jeremiah Tillman to take some steps forward and maybe stay on the court a little bit longer this year. But, you know, he he, he was their leading rebounder, their leading shot blocker and I think second leading assist assister. Um, yeah. So the, obviously you bring you bring all those things back, and it's the type of type of piece that's going to make everyone around him better. I think if I were Conzo Martin, what I would spend the next six months doing with Jonte is working on inbounds passes. Yeah, yeah. It, because it was amazing. With, oh. As good a passer as he is, well, those didn't go well. No, they, a lot of the, time. they have to work the whole team yeah. on inbounds I mean, passes, it's not especially just him. I don't especially against the that. press. Yeah, right. No, but also I, I will say I think kind of the process worked about how it's supposed to obviously we don't know the ins and outs of his decision making process but a few years ago i remember the uh the deadline for college players to withdraw from the draft was extended mm -hmm. um so players could get more feedback and you know i i have to imagine that you know he originally thought he was going to go a little higher than he started hearing so he decided to come back which i i would say is how the process is supposed to work the nba does this right mm -hmm. the, the nfl should do it this way right you know let the kids go out and get some feedback and i know they have the draft advisory board but let them actually work out at pro days work out in front of pro scouts say hey i'm exploring it mm -hmm. and then set a deadline to come back and i know it's tough on coaches but you know what they make millions of dollars. Things can right. be tough on them, and it's fine. Right. Jonte's return paid immediate dividends. Mm -hmm. um, Parker Brown, and it is pronounced Brown. I spoke to his mom this morning. It is spelled <laughs> Braun, but it is pronounced Brown, uh, who plays for Mocan. He is a 6'8", power forward, um, weighs probably less than I do at this point. So he is <laughs> he's a stretch four and will spend some time getting to know Nicodemus Christopher. Mm -hmm. But committed last night to Missouri as a preferred walk-on. The story is on our site uh, this morning. Basically, the situation is he will walk on year one, and then he will get a scholarship going into year two. Um, he did that over offers from Arizona, Ole Miss, LSU, Illinois, 
Vandy was talking to him. Ohio State was talking to him. Uh, this is not your average walk-on. Right. No, this is actually, I mean, it's very rare. I don't want to say unheard of, but it's very yeah. rare for a kid to pass up, you know, power five offers. And obviously you can you can maybe debate the committability of some of them, but with, with that many schools interested, clearly he's a, he you know, gone somewhere. he's a coveted yeah. player um, to come to, to, you know, walk on for a year. And by the way, that's another, you know, rare thing. I've heard of kind of that kind of arrangement in like swimming where they, they split scholarships, right. but for basketball player to walk on for a year before taking a scholarship, that's uh that's and, not something you see every and day. And you're so. putting faith in a coach because yeah. let's be clear, Conzo Martin does not have to do that next right. year. Now, if he doesn't, it, is he getting another <laughs> Mocan player? Probably not. Right, right. You know, so I'm sure um, he will, but he's, he, Parker is putting some faith in him. But yeah, no, this is definitely not your average situation. I think uh, I think Parker will very quickly become a fan favorite for yes. for this, and he also has a younger brother who's in the 2019 class who I saw play a couple weeks ago. He also plays for Mocan, um, so obviously uh, I would imagine there will be quite a bit of interest there as well. Yeah, and I saw Parker play. I watched Mocan a lot last year. I was thinking about this last night when Jonte came back. Like it was about ten and a half months ago, I was interviewing Jonte in uh, Augusta, Georgia, whether he was going to go to college or not. Right, right. You know, that's that's pretty nuts. Now it's that he's not quite ready for the NBA. But mm -hmm. there were a lot of games last year where Parker Brown was Mocan's second best player mm -hmm. um, behind Jonte Porter, and he's a kid that I think people will look at him and go. I don't know, he's a 6'8", skinny white kid. I hope he can shoot. Mm -hmm. Like, he's a better athlete than you're going to think he is when you first look at him. This is a kid that can play at this level. I don't know what the plan will be this year. My guess is he's a guy that probably gives you a little mop-up time this year, spends mm -hmm. a ton of time in the weight room, and then the goal is, you know, rotation player in year two and, and maybe pushing for a starting job as a junior. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, uh, you know, I don't – yeah, I don't think you uh... – you know, you're bringing him, in, bringing him in right away to to give you a ton of you know minutes at like the four position in a in a you know a close SEC game. But uh, obviously, uh, you know, Conso has shown in the past that he can develop players. Um, you know, obviously, he he could be a a very good developmental piece, especially for kind of the positionless style of someone who can yeah be tall and shoot. <laughs> well, and the interesting part of this is now, if if nothing changes. Um, we assume Jonte Porter will leave after next year. Right. So in that situation, Parker Braun basically takes his place. Right. Missouri has three scholarships for the 2019 class and one for the 2020 class. Now, mm -hmm. I want to be clear, as I always say, there's always room. Mm -hmm. But just, I mean, okay, EJ Liddell, Mario McKinney, uh, Rocket Watts is out there, um, Harlan Beverly, a lot of kids in that class. Then in 2020, you've got Caleb Love, You've got Moses Moody. You've got Luke Kasubke. Kasubke, okay. Thank and, you for uh, that Cameron help. Fletcher. Jack Cameron Fletcher, Josh Christopher. Like, yeah. it will take some roster gymnastics mm -hmm. to fit all those kids in. And not saying that Missouri is going to get all those kids, but if that's the goal, like, there's going to be some interesting things to watch the next couple of years. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, you know, as we saw this past year, you know, kids transferred, kids, right. you know, have to leave the program for other reasons. It's it's just going to happen. Not everyone who's is going to stay through their senior year, essentially. So we'll see. I mean, certainly, you know, this is not a secret, but Kanto is going to recruit as if he has a spot for everyone. Right. And if, you know, he's he's not going to tell, out. you know, Josh Christopher, Cameron Fletcher and uh, Moses Moody, they, one of them can't come here. Right. <laughs> exactly. They'll take them and they'll figure out a way. Uh, wrapping up on Parker Brown, I did want to just kind of share 
this random story that really just does nothing other than make me look like an idiot. But um, his uncle is Mike Sambody, who played, who was a starter on some of Norm's really good teams in the late 80s. Uh, I'm not sure exactly when Mike finished up, but I, I want to say it was around 1990 somewhere. So um, he was, I, I really liked watching Sambody play growing up. He was just this guy that kind of did all the, all the dirty work and everything. I was at uh, Deja Vu when that was still around as a 22-year-old who may have had a beverage or two at some point in that night. I was with a friend who was from, uh, I believe she was from Hannibal, which was the hometown of Greg Church, who also played on those teams. So we ran into Greg Church at Deja Vu, and she introduced me to him, and there was another guy with him, and, you know, she said, and this is Mike Sambody. And so, you know, slightly inebriated 22-year-old me looks at these two six nine like college basketball players guys i watched growing up and i said mike sambody you're the man i said now greg church you're all right too but mike sambody you're the man and so i am sure that i am a I favorite he, of i bet greg he church. treasures that interaction <laughs> yeah. to this day <laughs> probably more so than greg church does yeah frankly. yeah yeah probably so i mean that's you know that's that's my uh look like an idiot story for the day uh couple more minutes we'll finish up uh we are going football camping the next couple days i will be down at pittsburgh state where missouri is part of a camp on friday afternoon mitchell and sean are going to meet up at lindenwood where missouri is doing things on saturday also by the way kyron williams and jack buford two big targets from the st louis area on official visits but uh football camp and so hopefully we start with some of these official visits and camps like Hopefully the ball starts rolling here a little bit. Yeah, with the new signing period, June is kind of shown to be a month—the month where it kind of gets going with uh, with official visits and maybe start to see some some more lists get cut down, possibly some commitments. So uh, we we have told you in May, you know, definitely not time to panic. Not many kids uh, see you don't see a lot of activity in May. June is June it's is only, when it starts. It's only May for fifteen more going. hours though. Yeah, that's what that's my point. We're getting there. We're we're close. <laughs> I got we're getting there. Right. Sorry, didn't mean it. I, no, I, <laughs> I guess I should assume you were going somewhere with that rather than aimlessly rambling, which is what we do for most of the podcast. So uh I don't know. We'll probably have one next week. Yeah. I, I can't really think that far in advance. But, By the uh, way, we should uh, we should tell Lar- Larissa Anderson to listen to our uh, Como podcast, our best of Como podcast, yes. to, uh, to, to to get her acquainted. She, to town. she will never stop at a yellow light again. <laughs> so, all right, guys, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Thanks to Larissa Anderson for taking the time, and thanks to Patrick Anderson for being a coach in the Royals organization and uh, delivering a world title. So he is now my new favorite relative of a. Missouri coach. That's all we got. Talk to you next week.